In Perspective, Episode 144. Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to In Perspective. I am Bob Branco. With me, as always, my good friend and co-host, Al Hensel. Al, how are you this lovely day? I am doing really well, Bob. It now, uh, as we're recording, being a Friday, I'm looking really forward to a great weekend. And family's good, and uh, I've, I count my blessings every day. So I hope you're doing well also, Bob. Thank you very much. And here in New England, we spring forward tomorrow for what it's worth. We That's lose right. an hour's sleep, but it means the hope of spring comes quicker. Yeah, that, there you go. Before we continue, what I thought I would do is acknowledge everybody who has been offering assistance. We haven't done this for a while. I'm going to give out a list of folks who are offering assistance and making sure that In Perspective is properly aired and promoted. We start out with ACB Radio, which is an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, CJOY Internet Radio, which is an internet radio station or stations that are run by our own Daryl Breffy of Cape Cod. We have the uh, Chat Oasis administrator, Thomas Daly, who was a guest on tonight's program. He kindly puts our shows up there from time to time. Gatewave Radio which is run by Mr. Ken Van Pruyen. Now, Ken, please forgive me if that's not how you pronounce your last name. This is how Jaws pronounces it, Van Pruyen. If it's not Van Pruyen, just give me a call and correct me, please. <laughs> then we are on iTunes. Uh, and then, of course, we have Jacqueline Sylvia over at JS Web Solutions, who probably distributes our programs puts them up on the website, which is Branco Events. Just go to www.brancoevents.com and then click on the podcast section and you see our shows archived from latest to earliest. And as always, merci Jacqueline. Thank you. Okay. We have Out of Sight Radio and then we have Tell It to the World Marketing Services, who has gotten on board with us, and they are marketing in perspective to the best of their ability. Many thanks go out to Patty Fletcher for what she's doing. And then we have Your Own Pay Podcast Network, which is the network which is solely responsible for making sure that In Perspective is now available on iTunes. Many thanks go out to Michael Babcock. So thank you, all of you, for helping us out. And, Bob, just clarify that for our listeners if they decide to go the, the pay podcast route. It, it, does it mean that, they li- that anybody subscribing has to literally pay to, to receive it? Or uh, clarify that for us, if you would. I am still learning about that, Al. I haven't tried it yet. I know people are being encouraged to subscribe to iTunes. And how that process works is a way that they would probably know more than I know. I know what iTunes is, but I don't have the resources to really uh, subscribe to it or know more about its cost. Okay. Uh, One of these days I will talk with Michael Babcock about that, though. Okay. As we all know, it is very difficult for blind people to get jobs. Oh, we've talked about this subject forever. This is nothing new. Unemployment rate, 70%, yada, yada, yada. The National Federation of the Blind and the American Council of the Blind 
continuously work to lower that unemployment rate. For whatever reason, I'm still hearing that that rate is still at 70% even today. And we have Tom Daly on the program tonight to talk about a new idea that just might help lower that statistic. And, of course, many blind people are hoping it works because they want to work. And the problems are just insurmountable right now for some people, especially those who are blind trying to find work. So without further ado, let me welcome Tom to In Perspective. How are you, you, Tom? Uh, doing, doing reasonably well. Welcome, Tom. Tom, Tom brought this to my attention about a week ago <clears throat> during one of my Sunday phone chats, and I was very, very inspired. So what I'm going to do is let him talk about the concept that he has in mind, and then we're going to ask him some questions, and I also have some questions from some of our listeners. Go ahead, Tom. My wife, who just passed away two weeks ago, two weeks ago tomorrow, was a blind person. Worked in a sheltered workshop for a while. When the workshop closed, they gave her homework for a while. Then it dried up. She went about trying to find work. Nothing was available. Nobody wanted to hire. No money was available. So about a week after Rosie passed away, another friend of mine called me. He says, I'm talking to some people about how to get the blind into the workforce. And she says, I'd like you to join us. Okay. So I got thinking about it, got talking with her. I see this as three problems. All three need to be solved. Number one, and probably almost the most important problem, is the attitude of the disabled community. Whether you be blind, in a wheelchair, I don't care what your disability is, I hear so many times that, well, blind services isn't doing anything for me. Your voc rehab isn't doing anything for me. And I look at these people and I say, but what are you doing for yourself? What initiative are you taking? Well, what do you mean? It's just, are you getting up, looking for work? Are you putting out feelers? Are you going to companies uh, that you might be interested in working for, seeing if they've got job offers? What are you doing to help yourself? Nothing. Okay, as you say, you expect blind services or any of these other organizations to help you if you're not helping yourself. So I think we have to get beyond just sitting back and waiting for somebody else to do it. It's like Al sitting in his living room on Saturday night wishing some lady would call him for a date. You know, it's not going to happen. If she doesn't know he's interested, she isn't going to call. Now, plus I'm too old and dried up, Tom. Yeah, that's what Jackie said. And you're um, married. <laughs> and I'm married <laughs> to a beautiful, beautiful angel of a woman, by the way. 34 years and getting stronger every day. There you go, brother. That's what it's all about. Um, so there's that. And I don't – I understand where that thought process is coming from because our system is set up backwards. Our voc rehab system, line services – whatever the system is for whatever disability is set up wrong. They're set up to give you a handout. They aren't set up to give you a hand up. 
Blind Services or any other of these organizations, I've talked to many blind people and they say, well, when I talk to them, I tell them what I'm interested in, and then they come back a week later, and this is, go to do, go interview for this, go interview for this, go interview for this. But none of those jobs are what they're interested in. There's a preconceived notion amongst these people that this is what you can do. This is what's going to be easiest for you. That's what we're going to set up. So, Tom, real quick, Tom, as you're going, do you do you more specifically mean when you say this sort of preconceived notion with the uh, folks trying to, if if I may help the blind to get employment, do you kind of mean like a they sort of take an approach where it's a one size fits all deal? Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's that's the biggest problem we have. The blind can't do. Well, I'm sorry, but I have talked with several blind people who are very intelligent, who are very well established in their careers. Three of them were lawyers, Dr. Kenneth Jernigan being one of them, Dr. Mark Mauer being another one. These are hot rod lawyers. Peggy Pender, all from the National Federation of the Blind, are all lawyers. There was a fellow, there was a story about a guy who was an auto body technician. He went blind some type of accident. But he still wanted to be an auto body technician. He got to Federation's National Federation of the Blind School out in Colorado. And he went through the training to learn what it is to be blind, how to cope with his blindness, how to do things differently. He went to work for an auto body shop in Missouri. Guy comes into the pickup involved in an accident. He says, he says, I want the blind guy working on my car. The owner of the shop says, okay, no problem. The guy left and then this, this owner of this body shop said to this blind body tech, I want you doing that car. So I looked at him and said, you know what? She doesn't want you doing it. He's never going to pay you. She's not going to know it. So this blind auto tech did the body work, and it was substantial body work. When he came to get his truck, he says, I want you to take, this guy owned a trucking company. So he says, I know you've got the lights, you've got the base. Is you take this truck over to your shop and inspect it? Is you find anything wrong with it? He says, I'll, pay, I'll fix it at my cost. So I says, okay, deal. He goes over to his shop. Checks it out, comes back with a check made out to this body shop for the price on the bill. The owner of the body shop says, you want to meet the technician who did your body work? He says, man, he did an awesome job. Best I've ever seen. They brought over the blind auto tech. The blind can do anything they want to do. What they have to do is have an opportunity. So we got to work on that. Now, the biggest thing you're going to hear in this day and age, we don't have the money. We don't have the money for adaptive equipment. We don't have the money for training. We don't have the money for it. All right. I acknowledge that. But I believe that there's a way we can have a self-funding program 
that works. And it's going to take time. This isn't an effort we're going to complete in six months. It's going to take time because there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of talking that has to be done. There's a lot of a, a, a program that's got to be set up from scratch <coughs> to get this to work right. And I believe that with a collaboration between organizations for the disabled, business organizations, and government organizations, we can create a program where, let's say you have somebody who wants to go to work um, as a, um, oh, I don't know, a, a bookkeeper, bookkeeper in a business. He's going to need a computer. Well, if he's blind, he's going to need a computer with voice. He's going to need special adaptive equipment so that he can do that job. So what, what I envision happening is a fund where Voc Rehab, when you go to Voc Rehab and say, you know, I heard this company is looking for an accountant, bookkeeper, and so I'm interested. I've got a, I've got a uh, bachelor's degree in bookkeeping and accounting. I understand the process. But I don't have the computer or the money to get the computer and the software and everything else he would need to accomplish this job. So then Voc Rehab would say, okay, I'll go talk to him. Because Voc Rehab goes to this business and says, look, he's, I've got a client for you who's got a degree in accounting. And he's, and they'd say, you know, we'll pay, we'll pay for his equipment, do the job. For the first three months, we'll pay 75% of the salary. For the next three months, we'll pay 50%. For the next three months, we'll pay 25%. So after the course of time, you're nine months. In the last three months, they pay a salary and they give him a final evaluation. And if he's good enough and he's, he's doing his job like every other accountant they've got, they are obligated to hire him for a period of two years minimum. During those two years, this company would pay back Voc Rehab for the money they spent, including salary and equipment, at two and a half, three and a half percent interest. This money would be earmarked for training of the next person. So that money would always be there specifically earmarked for training of clients. Now, the great part about this is it's a win-win-win. Well, rehab's happy. They've got a client that's in a job, becoming a productive member of society, contributing to society. The blind person's happy because he's got a job. He can feel good about who he is what he's doing and feel like a valued member of society. And the business is happy because there's one thing I will guarantee you. They will have one of the best workers they've ever seen because the disabled appreciate the opportunity to work for a living. They don't want to be on social security. They don't want to be on welfare because those programs are set up back mass backwards. They're set up so that if you start getting ahead, well, you don't even have to start getting ahead. If you if you make a little bit of money, they're going to take something away. What's different about this is this program wouldn't do that. 
It's going to take change in the government so that if you make money, they're not going to take your food stamps. They're not going to take your Medicaid. They aren't going to take your Medicaid. They aren't going to take uh, your Social Security or your welfare away from you. At the moment you start, at the moment you start that job, you're going to allow, be allowed to keep it, and they're going to wean you off it a little by little, so that you've got a chance to get yourself stable, comfortable with paying your bills, and making your money, and learning how to budget. So you're doing a lot here in one program, but that's what's important. I've been, I, I, my wife and I received welfare for a while. And they had, uh, had to work for your welfare. So I went to work 30 hours a week at local supermarket. The minute I got that job and they'd set my pay rate and they told me welfare, well, once you get the job, once you land the job, we'll help you get a car. The minute I landed that job, I went to welfare. And you know what I heard? Oh, no, we can't help you do that. You're now making too much money. It's a handout, not a hand up. I want to give people a legitimate hand up. There's a difference. And the difference is you aren't giving it to them with one hand, and the left hand's not stealing it out of the back pocket. That's what's important. You said when you first introduced the concept that if people recognize that it's working in one state, because you said something about how it would be implemented state by state. If one state is successful, other states are going to follow suit quickly because the blind in those states are going to recognize the fact that it's working and they want to get involved right away to make it sure that it works in their own states. Yep. Yeah, I believe I believe that would happen. One of the biggest mechanisms we have in, and I've been around, my, my late wife was blind all her life, so I've been around the blind community. I've been around the disabled community. And the biggest thing I've seen in those communities, if you want to get a message out that affects the disabled community, Tell a member of the disabled community what's going on. And particularly when something isn't working right within the system or when something does work right within the system, the message runs like wildfire. If we can get this up and running in one state, I don't care what state, if we can get a successful program up and running, the news is going to travel fast because there's going to be a recognition that, hey, in this state, the disabled are doing something. They're working. They're contributing. It's not like it is here where we're just sitting around collecting money on the street corner. And once you get that, that process working and people start stealing a value, it's going to spread like wildfire, and there are going to be communities that can't wait to get on board. And if it's successful the right way, businesses and government will be joining in the fray 
to get on board because they're going to see the benefits to themselves in it. Government isn't going to have to worry about funding it because it's a self-funding program. Taxpayers aren't going to worry about it because it's a self-funding program. So, Tom, I, I love the concept, and I did from the beginning. Um, I have two major concerns about it, though, that from a business's perspective on the one hand and from the folks trying to sort of help these blind folks get a hand up uh, from their perspective as well. So first, from the business person's perspective, um, so let's say I'm an owner of, of a small business and I'm looking at that CPA as a potential employee, that blind CPA, as an, a potential employee. And I've heard all kinds of stories, most of them probably overblown, stig, you know, stigmatized sort of things, prejudging things about blind people. Oh, you know, they're, they're going to put a big drain on productivity for training. You know, they're, what if, what if they're, they're, you know, computers break down and all this. So there's a lot of minutiae, I'm sure, that would have to be worked out anyway. But let's let's go to the simplification part of it. So he goes through the interview with me. Um, I'm the person who's going to make the final decision. And I love the guy. You know, his stats blow me away. You know, he, he did well, really well academically in school. He's really outgoing. He's quick and intelligent. If he were cited, I'd be hiring this guy right on the spot. But now the concerns would be, number one, um, if I'm going to be paying money back after nine months or after a year, um, part of that would include, say, on $40,000, if my math's right, I think 2.5% amortized over two years following the initial hire two years and three months, would be $5,000, I believe, is, is 2.5% yep. of, of yep. 40000 So I guess that's a little bit of a concern. How do I get that back? Number two, Tom, um, abuse from the organization helping this person get a hand up, and the business is obviously contributing if they're buying into it as well. How do I safeguard for abuse? So, like, for instance, after nine months, I'm thinking from the beginning, let's say, if I'm nefarious, I'm going to be saying, gee, wow, this is a great way to get, a, you know, nine months worth of, uh, of an accountant at minimal amounts of payment. Um, you know, have you factored that into the whole, uh, you know, ball of wax as well? So those would be my two concerns. Good. As far as your concerns on how do you get the money back, you've already got it back. You've got an employee who's doing a good job. He's making money for you. It's no different than you go out and you take a $40,000 loan out of the bank to do the same thing. That you're never going to see. Yeah, that's true. Okay? It's, a, it's the same principle. As far as abuse goes, on either side, number one, if you are intending to use the program in that way, then I don't want you on board. Oh, of course, Tom. Okay. So if you if you sit there and you say, well, I really like the guy, but, you know, he does a really good job, but I can't hire him. We're going to say, uh-uh, you're committed. 
When you signed the papers for okay, this program, good. you were right. committed. That's what you were I was committed for. to hire him for two years. Okay. If he met your standards. Yep. So there's well, no backing out now. But what after nine months, though, Tom? Again, just to be clear, for, for my purposes, what would stop him after the nine-month, uh, you know, initial trial period to say, no, his his performance isn't what I expected, so therefore I, I don't want. I want to hear. I want to hear that at the end of the first three months. Yeah. If he's not holding, see, this is the purpose of breaking it down to three-month segments. Okay. It's, it's a, at the end of the first there's three months. There's a check-in after wanna, every quarter. Sure. Every, after every quarter, there's a check-in. Is he doing well? Is he meeting your standards? Is he accurate? Is he okay. earning his money? Got it. Okay. okay. So they're, they're built-in check-ins here to prevent a business from taking advantage. Mm -hmm. See, the blind, the disabled have lived with that attitude all their time. Life. Absolutely. And I want to put a stop to it. Yeah, and I see this as not fair. And I see this as a grassroots approach, Tom, as yeah. the businesses that are going to do this have already agreed to be sort of altruistic minded and helping with that hand up. I, I yeah. get I think I get what the spirit of this too. The, as the well. spirit of this thing is I want to give a person a legitimate chance to succeed. And in order to do that, the way the system is set up now, it doesn't exist. So we've got, we're starting from scratch. We're creating a program from scratch. We aren't piggybacking on the government. We aren't piggybacking on anybody else. We're setting something up from scratch. This is why I say this is going to take time, but we have to sit down and start talking about it Absolutely. now. Yep. Because it is going to take a amount of time because we have to build a legally solid program that protects us and our clients, the people we're helping. But I want it to also protect the businesses and the government that join us with their responsibilities and the checks that we, we want in place for them. Everybody's going to have to be held accountable during the course of the training program. That's fair. It's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, as, as you two gentlemen know, I teach two Bible studies on online. And one of my big things, one of the things I've been preaching now for two years, uh, you're talking a lot about, is I've been, I've been putting forth the importance of responsibility and accountability. I've created an acronym for four words. It's called RARE. Responsibility and accountability will get you respect and encouragement. I love it. R-A-R-E. I love it. If a business is held responsible and accountable for their actions in this process, the same way that blind or disabled individual is, and the part government plays in it, if there is one, and if government's held accountable for their actions, the respect and the encouragement for this program is going to build itself. Yeah, and let me mirror too, Tom, as a taxpayer myself. Um, that's money well spent, brother. You know exactly. what I'm saying? And exactly. if somebody came to me and said, would you con contribute, you know, five, ten bucks a week, theoretically, 
if I knew exactly where that money was going, I wouldn't even hesitate. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who feel the same way. <laughs> I have a list of questions submitted by our listeners, and I told them that I would ask the questions publicly on the air. So I'm going to take one at a time. We're going to start with Rona from Florida. Her question is, how do you plan to involve the NFB and ACB in this program? They can be one of our biggest supporters or they can be one of our biggest detractors. The, if they wanted to, they could contribute to this program to help us get started. They could make a yearly contribution to the program to get us off the ground and to keep us where we want to be. But I don't want to depend on them. Anybody that's been a member of either one of those organizations knows that when they elect a new president, new board, their focus can change at any time. As I think we haven't talked about them specifically. We haven't had the chance to yet. But I would like to see them become a partner in this. I don't know what to what extent and how yet. But if they're willing to go along with what we set up in this program and the way we set it up, I think it would be a boost to both of those organizations because it would give them an organization to go to to bring. They're all say, you know, the other guy do is have opportunity. Okay. Here's the opportunity. Now help us maintain that opportunity. You know what, too, Tom, Bob, before you go to your next question, organizations like that um, oftentimes mislay their uh, from their deviate from their mission statements, which yep. should be advocating for the blind. And this would be a perfect opportunity to fall right into sync just by promoting the efforts of this type of organization at the grassroots level would be, I mean, more than I would ever expect. And I think with their political clout, you know, with legislators, et cetera, at the state and federal levels, you know, this, this could, if they would just buy into, by following, by reminding themselves about their mission statements, which I'm sure include advocating actively for blind individuals to help improve their lives. This is right up their potential alley. The other thing, too, talking about this, is that they're going to have to change. They're going to have to change their focus somewhat. Most of these organizations, and I've been a member, I was on uh, a member of the National Federation for a while. I was on the State Board of Directors here in Vermont. And I'm going to tell you the biggest problem we had in Vermont was the people that were on the board were too busy worrying about what they could get out of it and not thinking yep. about the future. Yep. So, Tom. We have to stop thinking about today. What am I going to get out yep, of it? And that's right. Think tomorrow. That's right. What are we going to be able to give the future disabled? So, Tom, to better answer Rona's question, as you're planning this in the beginning stages, are there any thoughts on how you would approach either of these organizations? And if, if and when you do, um, what, what would be a possible way that you've thought out that you would get them perhaps uh, buying into what you're doing? 
if we can get them to buy into what we're doing, initially, to begin with, I, if, they're, if they're willing, I would use them as our legislative liaisons mm -hmm. because they have the political prowess. They know how to go to the legislature and the federal government, the Congress, and say, look, this is what we'd like to do. There's a group. We want to support them, but they need to have this done. That's where their expertise is. Mm -hmm. But, but, and here's the big one. I don't mind them taking the credit for creating the legislation and getting it passed, but don't take the credit away from the grassroots group who is starting this whole thing. And I've seen that happen right here in Vermont between the NFB of Vermont and the Vermont Association of Vermont. See, politically, they say, they say they're for there for the same thing, the same purpose which are on different sides of the political spectrum, and their goals are always the same. How can we look good? It's not about you. It's about the future bond. It's about this program. If you want to jump on board and help us, help us. We're more than happy to have you. But don't jump on board just to tear us down in the week we succeed. So do you have, um, Tom, at this point in your the beginning stages of your planning, do you have an, a sense of who you might approach and when at, at the uh, those organizational levels? Right now, no. We're okay. at the very formative levels of, the, of forming this. Um, we're just a group of people getting together, trying to talk about things Good. we can do differently. It's always got to start from somewhere. Sure. Yeah. It's got to start as a matter of fact, uh, the next question was from Ann Harrison, and she wanted to know, would you use crowdfunding sources to raise the money for this employment strategy for the blind? To that get was it her off question. the ground, yeah. So it sounds like you answered that question, Tom. So I'm going to move along to the next one. Peter from Texas. How do you plan to overcome this objection from employers? You may have already touched on that. But. that that's going to be a tough one to overcome because it's not just in the, the objections from employers that we get. It's the objections from the general populace. If you hear somebody's blind, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard in amongst the community. Well, so-and-so's uh, so -and -so's got a daughter who's born. Oh, that poor girl. She'll never be able to do anything. She'll never accomplish anything. We've got to get rid of that attitude. It's a mindset that our society has. And the mindset is that a disabled person is to be pitied. Well, that's not the way it should be. I went to, I went to one of our schools here locally and said, if we have a blind student come in this school, would you teach that student Braille? And I was talking with the principal who happened to be a personal friend of mine and Rose. No, you wouldn't teach him Braille. I says, why not? It's too expensive. I says, okay, granted. But I says, Braille is a normal student's form of print. We teach our sighted students to print. We don't even teach them cursive anymore. But we do teach them, teach them to read and write print. Well, if we're going to do that for a sighted student, why shouldn't we do it for a blind student? 
Well, they got computers. Well, what happens if the battery dies in his iPad? What happens if his, something happens to the screen on his phone so it can't be read? We've got to be, we've got to start, we've got to stop thinking about what we have and we've got to start thinking about the very basics. You know, when we were born, we didn't, we didn't come out of the womb running. We learned how to roll over. And, uh, Tom, just, we learned how to crawl. Bob and, uh, Bibi and I both grew up in the same period of time, the 70s. Uh, we went to school at Perkins and, Bob, I mean, Braille was just taught. It, as like you described, as somebody would teach me how to read print, Bob would need to learn how to read Braille and write with it as well. I mean, exactly. it's just your basic communication. You can't over rely on technology. Let's put it this way, folks. Most of the students who went to Perkins when Al and I were there, I would say maybe, uh, well, see, a lot of the students with limited vision did not learn Braille because they managed to read the printed text. So right. I'm not going to count those students. Right, myself included students, in that category. The students who could not read the print effectively at Perkins, I would say 80% of them knew Braille at least. Yet, 10% of all blind people know Braille. So that should tell you something. Well, we, we had a friend of ours who was, uh, he worked for the state of Vermont, the highway department. He was in the lab. And I think he had RP. And he began to lose his sight. And they switched him over to another job. What was that job? He was dispatcher of the highway department during in the radio room. And I'm going to tell you something about old Ray. There were truck drivers, one of the truck drivers called and said, I broke it down up here on Route 107. What are you near? We're near um, so-and-so's farm. Yep, no right where you are. And Ray would get his help to him. Is that Ray Burke? Ray Burke. And by, the- by the way, folks, for clarification, RP standing for retinitis pigmentosa. So Correct. Throw it, throw it out there. Good friend of mine. One of the most intelligent men I've ever known. He plays saxophone. He used to play guitar. He doesn't play that much anymore. Um, he's a musician. He's a, he's a nut. First, you, know, you have to be to work for State Highway. He used to take his guitar into work if he's working Christmas. And he starts singing Christmas carols. So the guys are getting some joy at Christmas over the radio. But if there was something that happened and they'd tell him roughly where they were, he knew right where they were. That just wasn't for our town that he lived in here in Berlin. That was for the entire state of Vermont. He'd give them the road. He'd give them a building, a landmark. I know right where you are. Wow. Right now. Because he memorized it. Yep. He had a built-in map. Yep. Built-in um, his map. Uh, Patty from Tennessee has a question. Uh, in fact, I think there's a couple here. Can you clarify for us as to how this would take away the need for things such as tax breaks and other uh, government involvement? Also, can you talk about the role that VR services uh, would play? Would they have a list of businesses taking part in this uh program so that people could easily find them 
would these perhaps be a directory uh, where uh, businesses could uh, submit their names and job listings? In terms of tax breaks, I don't know if we could totally eliminate them. I think if we were to set this program up where there was a major business that was hiring, well, let's say eight to 10 disabled workers a year, I might consider a tax break for those folks because they're paying into a private program, which is helping the, 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 the disabled. I don't know. I, I don't know about how much tax breaks we can eliminate. Some of those are good. Don't get me wrong. Some tax breaks are good. But that's going to have to be something that we take under consideration when the time comes. Voc Rehab, their role. I see them as being a clearinghouse for the disabled. In other words, I see Voc Rehab coming to us and saying, hey, we've got a client who's really, really good at a certain uh, certain occupation. He's got the training. He's got the know-how. But he doesn't have the equipment. He doesn't have the money. Okay, cool. Send him over. Send him to us. We'll deal with that part of it. But I want, what I want Voc Rehab to be doing is to be lining up clients to come to us so we can get them into the employment market. That's not Voc Rehab's responsibility. That's why they don't do well at it. See, Voc Rehab has no incentive to get a blind person a job. That's another reason I want to go with this self-sustaining, self-funding program. Because if we were to incorporate that into Voc Rehab, all of a sudden Voc Rehab's got an incentive to get Johnny a job, because if they get Johnny that job, that money's going to come back to them plus 3% or 2% or whatever it's set at to keep that program running. As it's set up now, Voc Rehab has no incentive. The workers have no incentive to be successful other than they're going to lose a client. If that client becomes successful and gets a job and is working on his own, Voc Rehab loses a client. If you lose enough clients, you lose your job. So there's no incentive there. You know, so, Tom, there is a reputation out there, and I'm not going to <coughs> either defend that reputation or oppose it, but Voc Rehab has a reputation. It, it might be unfair, but I'll say it just the same. It's been said by some members of the blind community and even others that in an attempt to keep their clients, Voc Rehab will purposely keep the client at bay, not really getting the job that the client wants, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that fair? Maybe not. But it is some speculation out there that that's what's going on. Do you agree? This is what I'm hearing from a lot of disabled people. It's not just the blind. It's not just the blind. I've heard it from the deaf. I've heard it from the wheelchair bound. I, I have heard it from the mentally handicapped. But that's because they're not set up right. It's just like if you owned a store 
and there was no incentive built in. See, that, that's kind of a poor example, but let's say you own a store and you sell your product for exactly what you paid for it. What is your advantage to sell it? You're not making anything off it. You're still going to have to struggle to pay your bills. So you build in an incentive to mark it up 10%. So you're making 10% off everything you sell. Well, there's an incentive to sell it because I'm making a little bit off it. And if I get a little piece of pie off that pie and that pie and that pie, pretty soon I've got a whole pie. The same thing holds true here. You actually got a pie with a lot of filling, don't you, Tom? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the same thing holds true here. If there's no incentive for, for, for voc rehab to be successful with the client, what's their, what are they going to do? They aren't going to work any harder than they have to. And the other part of it, and this is where I started at, the other part of it is the disabled community is happy where they're at because they don't have to do anything. There are members of the disabled community, well, they owe me that. You know what, pal? I hate to break it to you, but nobody owes you anything. You're just like me and any other person that was born healthy and lucky enough not to be disabled. Nobody owes us a damn thing. We owe society a whole heck of a lot more than they ever will ever owe us. And there's another issue, too, Bob, uh, Tom, sort of underlying that goes along with why there are a, a lot of blind individuals, possibly other disabled groups as well, that aren't looking for a job over a very long period of time. And that is um, how much self-worth do they have? You know, exactly. and you know what? You said something that cuts to the very heart of that issue. All, a lot of these so-called organizations who are who say they're advocating for the blind, and a lot of people out there in society just want to feel sorry for for yep. blind people, especially because that's the most feared disability that anybody could imagine. And they just kind of maybe it seeps into their. Um, you know, conscience, and they just feel like, oh, well, you know, they don't have faith in me, so why should I have faith in myself? Over a long exactly. period, I think that happens a lot. They get it ground does. down. People get ground I was down. Talking, you know, I was talking with a gentleman on our line, and as most, as a lot of people know, I do a lot of counseling work in the ministry. And I had a guy come in one time, and the first thing, in the first five minutes, he had, I knew he had a major problem. And that was a major problem of trust. Couldn't trust anybody. He couldn't trust his parents. One was a drunk, the other was a drunk. His daddy would take him to the bar so he'd play the piano so daddy could get free drinks. That's a tough hand. Yeah. Um, there comes a point in life where if you keep hearing you're not good enough, you don't do anything right, you never amount to anything, you're nothing but, you believe it. And once you believe it, it's a very hard thing to shake. It's just like, Al, if you went to work for your boss and your boss wasn't happy with anything you did, even though everything you did was, was fine, but he found fault with it every day, how long are you going to be there? I know, and, and I'd feel how long is it going to be? How long is it going to be before you start feeling worthless. Wouldn't take long, probably. You get back to the 40s and 50s, 
even the 60s, when anybody who was who had a disability was immediately considered worthless. They weren't able to work. They're leech on society. They're taking advantage of those as us and I. That's the way they felt. And today that that we don't hear it as much, but the result of hearing it so often, there's members of the bond community today that still feel that way. I'm not gonna amount to anything. Rebecca has a question which you've already answered, but I said that I would ask it anyway. This only goes to show the most popular fear out there amongst the community. Rebecca says, how will you generate funds for initial startup costs? You've answered that question. So we're going to go to Michael. Here's what Michael wants to know. What procedures do you have in place to ensure that the company won't let the contractor with a disability go go at the point that the company needs to start um, needs to start assuming most of the financial uh, responsibilities of the contractor. I hope you got that one, Tom. <laughs> It's kind of convoluted. Um, okay. When we get a business involved, if we bring a client to that, to be a part of this program, businesses are going to be screened. First and foremost, we're going to do some check. We're going to have some serious talking, not just with the president of the company or the general manager, but I want to talk to the board of directors. I want to lay it out to them. Say, this is what we're trying to do. Are you willing? And if they say yes, and say, okay, now, now that you're willing to get involved, are you willing to go this far? In other words, are you willing, if we bring a blind person or a disabled person into you, and we pay for their training, we pay their first year salary, are you willing to commit on the day you make that decision to hire that person? Are you willing to commit to hire that person for two years after his training period? If if that person is living up to the standards of all your other employees, if your average employee, are you willing to commit to signing him to a two-year contract and reimburse the organization at 2.5% interest for what we put into it? That includes salary and equipment, the monetary value of salary and equipment. If you're willing to sign that on Day one, that person, if you, well, the minute you decide that you're going to give them the, the opportunity, if you're willing to commit to it on that day, not a year later. So you're taking a risk. This person may not meet your your, uh, your standards. If that happens, fine. The person's pulled out of the program. The company's protected. This organization will be protected to a point because they won't have to spend any more money on a person that's obviously not going to work out. But we have to, as an organization, we have to do two things. We have to screen our applicants, and we have to screen our businesses. Because if you want success, you've got to make sure you've got the best of the best in the program. I know if, if, if a blind person, or you can't just a blind person, but if a person with a disability comes in and I start looking into his background. 
and it's showing me a background of, of no stability. Well, look at his school background. How's his learning? Can he learn? What's his grade level? What were his grades like? Has he worked? If he worked, how long did he work? How did he work out? You're gonna have to you're gonna have to get down and dirty with this from the get go to prevent the abuse from happening in the first place. That's just the way it is. And if you want a program that's going to work and be successful, you have to build it to be successful from the beginning. You can't change it in midstream. You know, Tom, Bob, before you go on, because I, I know we've just got a few minutes left, but um, Tom, uh, I'm thinking my uh, now I'm putting myself trying to in the uh, in the perspective of the one of the people, one of the major people, you know, running or involved with this startup company. And one of my first thoughts is, man, I'm going to have probably 80 to 90 percent of the potential um Let's stay for the with the disability I'm most familiar with, um, blind uh, clientele that come my way. They're going to be at least partially to very broken uh, as far as self-confidence. They may have all the talents in the world, but they may not realize how good they are. And some of it might be, you know, my aspiration is to be an astronaut. Well, you might be telling them, well, look, you know what? I'm looking at your profile. I'm looking at your, all of your experience. And maybe right now we should have you as, um, I don't know, like a, a private airport pilot instead, you know, that kind of thing. So it's it's going to be tricky and very difficult on both sides, I think, Tom. On the one side, selling your, your, your service as meaningful to the companies, to the business owners. And on the other one, in getting clients to come in. And some of it may, may need a lot of hand-holding through the uh, especially beginning of the process. That, uh, have that, you thought that through as well? That, that's why, in thinking about this, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to have to we're going to have to have a section of this program that deals with the fact that we are going to have clients come in who are very broken. It's going to take time, not only time to set this program up, but we have to set the client up to deal with this program. Yeah. It hasn't been done before. Right. You know, this is new ground. So this, this, I, we're, uh, talking, we're talking a totally new concept. Yep. I have one final question. I want to squeeze this in. It's from Ann Very from good, New Tom. York. Ann P. from New York wants to know, how do you control employers – and prevent them from dropping blind employees as soon as the cash cow goes away. Yeah, that's one of the questions I asked. That's 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 the purpose of having them sign that contract yeah, I think at the beginning that. of the program. Yeah, hopefully that's been answered, Ann. You're basically what you're signing is a three year commitment. We yeah. are out of time. I, I wanna give out my email address in case people uh, want to write in to in perspective at this point. It's Branco182 at Verizon.net. And Tom, I want to talk to you off the air too. There might be some folks who may want to set up some dialogue with you privately. So I'll take care of that off the air from, okay. from that point of view. But I do want to thank you. This sounds wonderful. I'm inspired. Uh, I, I hope moving forward that people latch onto this, especially those consumer organizations that we referred to during the program, NFB, ACB, see if they can jump aboard. 
see if folk rehab jumps aboard, see if you can get startup money. That seems to be the key, getting startup money for this uh, program to work because it has to have a beginning. Sure, the money generated by the business goes to help someone else, but there still has to be a beginning yep. somewhere. So let's hope that, for the That's going to be the hard part. Tom, thank you. Thanks very much for appearing thank on you. the program. Thank yeah, you for um, the opportunity. I echo those sentiments from Bob as well, Tom, and we hope that you come back periodically to update us in regards to this endeavor. It's a tough one, and uh, you're an innovative guy. We know you very well, and uh, if anybody can do it, 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 get this thing off the ground, it, it's, it's a person the likes of yourself, Coach. So anyway, folks, as always, before you conclude, oh, I'm sorry, before you conclude, I do have a request from one of our previous guests, Patty Fletcher, who made a little mistake on the show last week That's when she was true. talking about a particular condition. She was referring to spatial disorientation instead of what she had said on the show. So, Patty, I acknowledge that mistake. So, yeah, you were speaking about spatial disorientation on that show. Go ahead, Al. So, folks, we hope, as always, that you've enjoyed this show and that you'll be back next week. Um, please, please go safely with God's abundant blessings. And, again, we hope to see you uh, in the future very soon. Take care.